The word of our Lord from the Old Testament book of Genesis. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And skipping down to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then skipping down to verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit, the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you even touch it, lest you die. So the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, That it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And so he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you you shall not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave it to me from that tree, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall strike his heel. And so the woman said to him, I will greatly multiply. And so the woman to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have not taken and have taken and eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. 
for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know both good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. And so he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The word of our Lord from the gospel according to Matthew. Jesus, having been baptized, was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now with the, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot foot against a stone. And so Jesus said to him, It is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. But again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, All these things I will give to you if you will but fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Let's pray. Almighty God, whose blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan, come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations. And as you know the weakness of each one of us, let each one find you mighty to save through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Stories have conflict. All of them do, at least the best ones, we could hypothetically come up with a story that has no conflict, but it'd be an awfully boring story, a story of a man we're just following him along during the day, I guess. But stories always have conflict. And there are three stages of conflict that we find in all stories. There is the setup, there is the upset, and there is the reset. There's the introduction the body of the story, and then the conclusion or the resolution, how things are finally pulled back together and tied up. You could think of it this way. That which is set up is upset. And then that which is upset 
is reset. In biblical theology, we call this the story of creation, fall, and redemption. God made man in his image. Man fell from that image. But God sent one who is called the image of the invisible God to come and to redeem and to restore that fallen image. In stories, there are those three stages, the setup, the upset, and the reset. But there are also four typical kinds of conflict in all good stories. And some stories focus in on just one or two of these types of conflict. But all four of these types of conflict are very typical of stories. There's the conflict of man versus man. You know, the battle between husband and wife, the battle between uh, this nation and that nation, the battle between this, uh, this, this underdog and that giant. Man versus man. There's also the conflict of man versus nature, where man is fighting the elements. He's fighting that which is part of the natural world. Maybe he's, he's out in the woods and he's having to fight off lions, maybe not lions in the woods, but he's fighting off bears and snakes and maybe a mountain lion. Yeah, a lion. There was nothing wrong with saying a lion. It was a mountain lion. But you've got man versus nature. Man versus, uh, you know, the falling out into the river trying to get away from that snake. I would jump into a river trying to get rid of a snake, trying to get away from a snake. Man versus man, man versus nature. But there's also man versus supernature. Traditionally, this would be, uh, in, in ancient uh, storytelling, this would be man versus the gods, the, the pantheon, the deities. Man versus the spirits, the spirit world. But there's also man versus himself, where there's inner conflict. And oftentimes those outer conflicts bring about inner conflict. We, we think the story is about man versus man, but what we find out in the end is it's really about man versus himself. Dealing with internal turmoil. I'm not intending to just teach literature to you this morning, as you might have guessed. The story that Scripture tells is no different. The difference, if there is one, is that we are the central characters, all of us. Well, we should probably admit that God is really the central character of this story, but it's His story that He's telling And his focus is on us. We are his creation. We are the objects of his love. As the psalmist put it, we are the sheep of his pasture. And as the good shepherd, he cares for us. So much so that he'll lay down his life for us. We are caught up in a story. We're a part of that story. Every single one of us and every single one of the men and women and boys and girls that we encounter outside of these doors is part of this great story. His story. The story that God is telling. The story that will be remembered for all of eternity. 
The problem is, the upsetting is, we made a mess. And oh boy, what a mess we've made. We've upset that which was set up. We read about that set up in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We read about that upset set up in Genesis 3 and following. In fact, as you move through Genesis 3, 4, and on through 11, you find, you find upset after upset as Adam and Eve fall into sin. You find in the very next chapter, Cain killing Abel. You find just turmoil after turmoil as mankind seems to be spiraling out of control. And the mess that we've made for ourselves brings about conflict of various sorts. Notice when the Lord God approaches Adam and Eve in the garden, they hide, they're fearful. And when the Lord says, how did you know that you were naked? Adam says, what's that woman that you gave to me? Now notice the way he puts it. We normally think of the fact that he's placing blame on her, but ultimately he's also placing blame on God. That woman whom you gave to me. Don't look at me. This is not my fault. This is not my doing. Seeking to justify and rationalize himself, Adam makes himself an enemy of all those that are intimately around him. His wife, his creator and maker. And so the Lord God turns to the woman and says, what have you done? She says, oh, don't look for blame to be over here. It's that serpent. He told me that you were holding out on me. He told me that I couldn't trust you. You see, we've got all of the created order unraveling and falling apart because of the mess that we've made. You know, when we make messes, even little messes, they tend to be pretty big. Just this morning, Topher fell and dropped a little spill of wire. It wasn't a lot of wire, but it took a lot of paper towels to clean up on that slick floor. And I remember when uh, Lindsay and I had Aiden and he was a newborn, he was constantly spitting up and we were talking to the pediatrician about how, how much of a mess it is. And he's like, yeah, but it's, it, it's not that much spit up. And we're like, I mean, it's like ridiculous amounts. He turns around, grabs a, a tiny, tiny little cup off of his little, uh, you know, they've got the little kitchen sinks in there. He's off the counter, puts a little splash of water in it, throws it in the floor and says, that's a little bit of water, but it makes a big old mess, doesn't it? And we're like, oh, okay, so it's not so bad. Now, somebody's got to clean up the mess. Our mess was huge. Our mess was catastrophic. Our mess was not just about 
taking a piece of fruit. When talking about what kind of fruit it was, I remember that Dr. Lorstorfer, he was Mr. Lorstorfer at the time, or Professor Lorstorfer at the time, when he was my uh, theology professor in college, he used to say one of his you know, weird, weird sayings was, uh, when we would ask, was it a, an apple, a pomegranate, what was it? He would say, well, it's not so much the apple in the tree as it was the pear on the ground. Talking about Adam and Eve, of course. Hey. So we've made such a mess. We have upset this setup big time. Adam's brokenness with God, his, his fractured relationship with God is key to the, the mess that he's made. Because it's that fractured relationship that he had with God that becomes the source of all other conflicts, even the conflict that he has within himself. Adam doesn't know himself anymore because of his fractured relationship with God. Suddenly he realizes things about himself and becomes conscious of things about himself that bring about insecurities and discomforts. Insecurities and discomforts that his maker never intended for him to endure. Yeah, we've made a mess. We've made a mess of the story. But Jesus knows our mess. He's not surprised by it, though we often are. You know, we're often surprised by the mess others have made. How often have we almost blushed when a neighbor or a coworker tells us about their family life or their family situation? About what their brother's going through. Problems their mom has. We're often surprised by the mess others have made. And we're often surprised by how quickly we've made a mess of ourselves. You know, we're like the dog on that meme. Some of you have seen it and... You know, you're looking through the front door and the dog is sitting there in the front door and the place is a complete wreck and he's covered in flour and it, the, the caption says, you left and I don't know what happened. It just happened. <laughs> you know, sometimes we surprise ourselves at how good we are at making messes of our lives and making messes of ourselves, making messes of our relationships making messes of what we thought we had together and it just falls apart. We thought we had everything set up just right and suddenly it's upset, typically by us. And if not by us, typically by someone else because people are good at making messes. And Jesus knows our mess. He's not surprised by it. First things first. We need to get one thing clearly in our minds. Sin doesn't just happen. 
it may seem that way. I don't know what happened, Lord. I, I, thought, I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought that I was protecting myself. I thought that I was making wise decisions. I thought I could handle it. I thought I could withstand the temptation. I thought I was strong enough. I thought nothing would become of this. But sin doesn't just happen. Sin is conscious. It is aware. It is a grasping at that which we knew we ought not grasp. It is a, an ignoring of that voice that tells us, uh-uh. But sin is also not just a grasping. You know, we, we normally think of sin only as that which we do, that which we um, commit. But there's also those things that we omit, those things that we fail to do. And in the communion liturgy that we walk through when we receive communion, we confess, Lord, there are things that we've done that we ought not to have done, and there are things that we ought to have done that we haven't done. We failed. But sin doesn't just happen. Jesus is not unaware of our sin. You know, we often try to cover up our sin with those fig leaves like Adam and Eve. We, we try to you know, put some paper towels on it and maybe it will go away. The mess we've made, we often try to find cheap ways of covering it up but Jesus knows and the story of scripture tells us that not only does he know he knows personally and he knows intimately he knows our mess But Jesus also enters our mess. That's what the early chapters of the gospel are about. The early chapters of Matthew's gospel, Mark's, Luke's, John's, are about Jesus entering into our mess. He has not stayed away from it. He has not whispered from heaven, tisk, tisk, you better clean that up. He's entered into our mess himself. That's what his incarnation is about. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's what we pronounce to the world at Epiphany, that he came not just for our mess, for, but for everyone's mess, the whole world's mess. Chapter 3 of Matthew's account of the gospel tells us of Jesus' baptism. And as Jesus steps down into those waters of baptism, and as the voice of the Father says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And as the Spirit descends upon Him, and Jesus comes back up out of the rivers 
of those baptismal waters, Jesus is participating in the human plight and the human predicament. The very next thing thing that happens is an undoing of the fall of man. Jesus is driven, like Adam and Eve, out into the wilderness. He is led by the Holy Spirit out and away from the holy city. And he spends 40 days in the wilderness fasting and praying. If you're wondering where do we get the 40 days of Lent from? It's those 40 days. We exclude Sundays from those 40 days, so it ends up being, I think, 46 days. But we don't fast on Sunday because it's the day of the resurrection. It's the day to celebrate. It's the day of feasting, not fasting. But Jesus is incarnate, he is baptized, and then he is tempted. Entering into our mess. Not just being aware of it, Not just knowing about it, but coming and entering it. And the good news is that Jesus comes nearer to our mess than we'd like him. You see, we'd rather pretend with those fig leaves. We'd rather God stay out of the garden. Not because we don't like him, but because we've made such a mess. And we're embarrassed by it. We're ashamed of it. And here he comes. And our conscience can't handle it. And so we hide. We do what we can real quickly to try to cover up and make things look okay. We shove everything into the closet. He comes nearer to our mess than we'd like him. We think, oh, but he's too good for our mess. What will he think? He'll be so upset, so disappointed. And yeah, like a good, good father, he is sometimes upset and disappointed. There are times when God very well might look at my life and say, Adam, you knew better. I I think sometimes God does say, I told you so. Not all the time. I don't think God's beating us up. I I don't think he's wanting to crush us. God is, is, is so good and so perfect that he knows when those things need to be said and need not be said. It's not that he's Zeus up on Mount Olympus with his lightning bolt looking to strike us. But he's one who knows us so intimately and so personally that he is able to say, yeah, you knew that, didn't you? Yeah, Lord. Do you mind? And any time in our lives we're willing to say, Lord, do you mind? He is all too willing 
to roll up his sleeves, get down on his knees, and help clean up the mess. Because Jesus knows our mess and he enters our mess, but he also redeems our mess. Not surprisingly, redeemed messes often still look like messes, only redeemed. You know, shattered dreams are still shattered dreams. I like to think that God is able to take those bright and colorful shattered dreams and make some beautiful stained glass windows out of them. I grew up with a million dollars worth of stained glass windows in our sanctuary there at Riverside. And I love those beautiful, beautiful pictures. I love the the light that would shine in. It it was almost, it was glaring. You could hardly see across the sanctuary. But it was so beautiful and so colorful. Bill, if we ever get a building, I want stained glass windows. (laughs) Put that in the notes, Catherine. (laughs) But shattered dreams are still shattered dreams. Broken families are still broken families. Old wounds still leave scars. See, Jesus redeems our mess, but redemption is a bloody mess. The fig leaves wouldn't do for Adam and Eve. That wasn't enough. It wasn't enough even that they were banished from the garden. Because for them to be redeemed, for that which was upset to be reset, the one who did all of the setting up had to come out onto the set himself and go with them out into the wilderness. The God from whom they were trying to hide. The God from whom they were trying to protect themselves. Is the one who taught them that those fig leaves weren't going to be enough. Blood must be shed. And so he prepared hides from the animals presumably that Adam had just named. Our humanity is broken. But our humanity is not an excuse. You'll notice that sin happened after creation. Sin is not an essential part of who we are. In the philosophical world, we we speak of sin as accidental, not as in, oops, I did it again. Britney Spears, anyone? Um, but, But as something that is not an essential part of a thing's nature. God created us apart from sin. Sin happened afterward. It is the upsetting. It's not a part of the setup. up. 
You see, we often want God not to redeem our sin, but to permit our sin, to excuse it, to allow it, to okay it. But even in forgiveness, God is not saying it's okay. Forgiveness is never about saying it's okay. Forgiveness is the first step toward healing. It's about acknowledging that, yeah, this thing is there and this thing is a problem. But I'm willing to remove this problem in order to heal the broken relationship. What God offers us is not permission to sin, but He offers us remission from sin. See, our struggles and our temptations, our failures, and yes, even our sins, they do not define us. Our identity is not in them, but our identity is in Christ. And Jesus redeems our mess. And of all things, Jesus is then able to use our mess. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing that the the full arc of redemption comes back full circle. And Jesus is able to use our mess. It's a good thing because everyone else has a mess. Everyone out there. Everyone up our street. Everyone that works with us. Everyone that plays with our children, they've all got a mess. As we enter into this Lenten season, we are invited to come to humble ourselves. Confess our sins. To recognize, Lord, the problem is not them out there. The problem is not what they do. The problem is the mess we've made. And so we ought to humble ourselves. We ought to confess our sins. We ought to surrender our all. Lord, would you take and consume all of me. All of those things that I'm trying to protect and all those things that I'm trying to hide, all those things I'm trying to keep away from you and out of your sight, those breaks and those cracks, those messes I've tried to cover up, Lord, would I surrender them all to you. Every bit of it. Even the messes I don't yet know about. And we're invited, invited also to share our stories. Because there are others who need to know the God who is able to fix the mess of our lives.
shame on us if we don't admit our messes and shame on us if we don't know others who are caught up in a mess. As we prepare to embrace the cross of Jesus and declare his defeat over death and sin, we're invited in this season to take serious inventory of ourselves and to lay all of who we are and all of what we have at the foot of the cross. To lift up our eyes to the cross and to say, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you heal me? And would you use me? I need your help. I need your healing. Because I've made such a mess. Let's pray.